Wait, like a tangent to feminist theory that, okay, wow, I'm actually so sorry uh, to Jordan, uh, sound man, if you have to cut this out because it's total trash, but I think this is so interesting that, okay, so like before the Renaissance, before the Dark Ages, before all of this, that at one point in history, like people with vaginas who were seen as women at the time, or no, that's not even right, but people with vaginas would bleed uh-huh. and that at that time would mean death because if you bleed that means you're gonna die because if someone goes out and hunts and they get cut they bleed they die right and so like you have this being this mystical being that would bleed once a month and just not die oh, uh, no i think that's and you have, super it, like super this, connected yeah, and it's this person that can, like, cheat death, essentially, and just, like, comes out of it, like, stronger than ever, and is like, ah, ha, ha, I just bled, and I did not die. And what I love is thinking about that idea, and that at one point in time, someone definitely chopped their dick off just to see if they would not die. <laughs> I'm Jess Fisher, and this is the best paper I ever wrote. My guest today is my absolutely lovely friend, Miranda Schumacher. You are on my time zone right now, and we grew up in the same state. Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm going to be transparent. We recorded this episode. Why wouldn't I be transparent? We, we literally just spent the last hour recording this episode. Like something wrong happened with Randy's recording. So we're starting over. So this might be like the most cohesive episode of the best paper I ever wrote that I, we've ever had because we're recording it twice. It's going to be so cohesive. You're going to be like, holy crap. These are the smartest people I've ever listened to. <laughs> All right, Miranda, how do you self-identify? Um, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, Pre-COVID, I definitely thought of myself as a comedian, writer, actress, performer in all senses of the word. Um, but right now I'm really focusing on writing, uh, comedy, and I'm also applying to grad school. I didn't mention that in our last recording, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> really? What are you applying to grad school for? I'm applying for creative writing. So. Oh, that's so cool. Yes, very Like, exciting. with a comedy concentration or just creative writing? Just uh, creative writing in general for, like, uh, fiction. Um, I think there's one place I'm applying for poetry, but that's about it. That's so sick. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. <laughs> where did you grow up and where do you live now? Um, I grew up in Ocean City, New Jersey, South Jersey. Um, I'll say it again for this recording, too. I don't believe Central Jersey is the thing, and I actually kind of want to stick by it more than I did last time. I shied away. <laughs> I'm so upset. Where did you get the, the idea that Central Jersey does not exist? I think if you think you live in Central Jersey and you believe Central Jersey exists, there's a strong chance you live in South Jersey. South Jersey? Yeah. Oh, that's worse. That's worse? <laughs> South Jersey's the best. North Jersey is essentially New York. It's so gross. I don't. Okay, well, I I grew up in Monmouth County, which, like, you know, Um. our governor has confirmed is Central Jersey. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, he's literally confirmed it. Phil Murphy confirmed it um, because he raised his family in Middletown, which is where I grew up. Whatever. Who cares? Um, (laughs) And... (laughs) But 
at least Miranda, you do say pork roll, and none pork of us roll. respect people who say Taylor ham. Yeah, I don't even. I actually didn't even realize that that was the other option. I thought it was just ham. I didn't realize there was a name. Really? For it. Yeah. Yeah, Taylor ham. Taylor wow. ham is the brand. Pork roll is the thing that it is. It's like, oh. So it's like Xerox versus um, copier. <laughs> like it's a copier. <laughs> that is so interesting. I had no idea. Wow. I feel very strongly about it. But sometimes in New York, I'll like ask for a pork roll like, and cheese and people will be like, you mean Taylor ham? And I'm like, I actually don't. Oh my god, that's Loki. So rude of them too. Like, shut up. <laughs> I think so too. Um. So, what was the title of this essay? Uh, the title of the essay was "The Blame Game: Colon The Oppressed and the Oppressors." I just think that is so cool. And what was this uh for? What was the paper for? It was for my magic, religion, and the Inquisition class that I took in um Florence when I studied abroad at NYU Florence in Italy. That's so yeah. cool. I love that. I don't know why um, I specified Florence in Italy. I do feel like most people know that, but I don't know why I was like, in Italy. <laughs> so bougie. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? All right. So um, first of all, I just want to say that like, I really was excited to read this paper because when I was growing up, I, I used to think that I could see and hear ghosts, but I also had pretty severe OCD, which like when you have severe OCD, you sometimes hallucinate. So I don't actually know if I saw ghosts or not. And my mom and I, like, read a bunch of books about, like, psychics and indigo children, and we were also pretty involved with the Catholic Church. So, like, that kind of leads you to, like, witchcraft, right? And so I was like, oh, like, maybe I'm a witch. But then I, like, learned a lot about how Catholics treat witches, and then I was, like, really didn't want to get confirmed for that reason. I did get confirmed. My name is Jessica Marie Genesius Fisher. Um, so when I picked up your paper, I was, I, I was just super excited. So your paper is about witches. Do you want to give like a quick rundown of what your paper is about? Yeah. Um, it's about, uh, witch trials, um, and the inquisition in general in like the burning times in Italy and how it related to women and why these trials tended to be more gender specific than they were gender related and how it was in fact a targeted attack against uh women at at some points mm -hmm. right like some some men did get killed for witchcraft but it was mm -hmm. like vastly women and um for a number of reasons um i did want to clarify that um like uh, you you'd said before in our last recording that that this this class was very much about witch trials in Italy, right? Mhm. Mm very much Italy. Yeah. This is a look really at like Italian history, like the Italian Renaissance, um the Italian response to the Protestant Reformation and then the Counter Reformation mm -hmm. that followed and how right. they dealt with heresy, um pagans and all parts of the Inquisition. Whereas it's so interesting because just a few countries over in Spain, the Spanish Inquisition was so much more violent and aggressive mm -hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. One of them being they had a, a Catholic king. Uh, so mm -hmm. that really has to do with it. And Italy didn't really have a king. They were just made of a bunch of like city states. They weren't even a country yet. Uh and also how this is also very different from what happened in Salem and also what was happening in Latin America um, with colonialism. So, like, it's just, it's very Italy-specific, um, for sure. Right, right. 
So do you think that um, although the Spanish Inquisition was going on and that was also against witches, um, in Italy was was it was there more of a proclivity to be aggressive against witch hunting and stuff, or like for witch hunting? Italy was interesting. Spain was so super violent and definitely was very focused on like being anti-Protestant um, and really focusing on like finding the heretics and mm. punishing them. Uh, whereas in Italy, you just see this giant, this development of like the concept of what a witch is, the concept of a oh, heretic. Um, dating from like St. Thomas Aquinas uh, wrote Summa Theologiae, which was like basically like the tenets of what Christianity should be. And in it, it states that magic um, is a pact with the devil. And since then mm -hmm. you see in Italy, but also just in Catholicism, this development of like the seed of like the pact with the devil morphs into this snowball of a witch and how that brought about witch hunting. Right, right. Okay. That's, that's super interesting to me. So um, I'm thinking about like in, in different uh, religions and backgrounds, there's like different, like the root of what a witch is. Um, some people say that it's the um, Egyptian goddess I Isis um, because she was like, you know, violent mother goddess, like feminine thing. Um, or Kali, which is like Hindu violent goddess. And some people also point reference to Lilith, who was in the Torah as Adam's first wife. And she like didn't, I think it was that literally like she like didn't want to have sex with him and then like ran into the woods and like ate children or something. Oh, wow. Like, <laughs> and like that's in the Torah, but I don't believe it's in like the King James Bible. Like, I don't think Lilith is in like Genesis. Huh. Right. So you're, you're, you're talking about Catholicism and, and like, it's just interesting, like what has been uh, chosen to be in the Bible and what hasn't. Um, so example, like witchcraft and things but they're like they're not gonna show lilith who um like denied adam you know mm -hmm. um that also reminds me oh there was a quote about like so when we're talking about the the texts and everything because there, there was a lot of text during this times that made witches more prominent in the like psyche of the mm -hmm. average person right so that was if you could say it, it was uh, a Heinrich Kramer's. I couldn't For say Macarius? last time. Say no, the the. Oh, Malleus. Heinrich Kramer's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Malleus Maleficarum. Oh yeah, because the other one was like predated that one, right? Yes, the, the For Macarius. Yeah, um, which was also uh substantial, but no, Heinrich Kramer's for sure was the most pointed attack on women, and it translates to the hammer of witches. <laughs> Love that. And, uh, oh, yeah, so there was something about the rib, about that woman, because, like, woman's rib is, like, backwards or something, so they're always going to be, like, wrong, like, built wrong. Yeah. Uh, that... Did you remember that? Yeah, the idea of inversion, like, being yes. inverted was so prevalent. Um, and I, I had you look up that the wood carving, the Hans Baldung yes. 1510, the witches wood carving. And if you look mm. at the top, um, that woman is riding a, a goat backwards. Okay. Inversion. Sure. And that That's was so interesting. Yeah. So like Kramer talking about like a woman being built wrong or inverted was actually very like very much referencing all of the text 
predating him about witchcraft, like what we knew about it, was the idea that like women would go to this Sabbath, which was like a nighttime ritual. They would often be naked. Animals would be included. They would make a pact with the devil and everything they would do would be backwards, like inverted, which was just, it's just like a weird, like, okay, why is that wrong? But okay. (laughs) I guess like you could even look at like how like you play music backwards and it has like a secret message because it's like of the devil. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, I I found the quote from, I I think it is from the uh, Malleus. That it's uh, because the, the curved chest rib bent in an opposite direction from a man's. From this weakness, one concludes that since she is an unfinished animal, she will always be deceptive. <laughs> <laughs> unfinished. unfinished. Oh my god. As if God well, halfway through was like, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I guess, I mean, like, because I, I wrote, like, a ton of papers on gender theory in school, and, and I read a bunch of books on, like, gender and, and horror and things like that, you know, the uh, the vagina is often looked at as the inverted penis, so it's, like, something is wrong, <laughs> especially from a man's perspective. It's just, like, so, like, I guess the inversion, the devil, vagina, I don't know. Like, th- that's just a, an idea that popped into my head. Um, I mean, that also makes me think about... Um, I think it's Karen Horney's uh, Womb Envy, Theory of Womb Envy, like, oh. you know, which is uh, in reference to uh, penis envy, which is a Freud theory, that it's like all men so will stupid. always like hate women because they, they wish that they could create life. Um, mm. And so it's like this mysticism of like, I can't create life, witchcraft. Like, <laughs> Yeah! I just, I really like, I don't know if it's true, but I just, I if I were to guess... That in some point in time, one person out of the millions that have existed in the world, someone chopped their dick off just to see if they could bleed and not die like a woman. And I so so choice. (laughs) It really it like it's the only thing that brings me solace (laughs) that, you know, okay, so that does actually connect back to um, like, (laughs) sorry, that was so random. No, it's not. Okay, so here we're talking about. Um. During this time as well, like, because of the uh, prevalence of texts and the Catholic Church, like, trying to fight against all these other forces, there was a lot of, like, misinformation about um, women's health and women's bodies that were being put out, you know, including mm. these papers about, like, witch, witchhood and witch hunting and things like that. So we look at um, one of the largest groups that was persecuted against, largest being greatest, groups that was persecuted against um, was the, uh, wait, wait, why, why did, oh, midwives, midwives. Because they, mm. they tended to be past their their ability to reproduce, which is where a lot of women um, have value. If you are able to reproduce, you can make an heir, another more men for this earth to have. Um, but if you're a midwife, you know about women's anatomy. You know about um, like women's sexual health. They were often performing abortions, which was obviously you know not co- like cool as as it is still not cool today in a lot of places. And um, midwives also were seen as mystical, like, you know, so in the same way that women bleed and live, midwives can, like, cure illness um, because they knew how to fix it. So it's like, ah, witchcraft. But also, like, if they couldn't cure the illness, it could be like, oh, she hates this woman because X, Y, Z, witchcraft. So midwives were super duper um, uh, suspected of witchcraft. Um, I'm getting those, by the way, just to reference um, that I... I listen to this really cool or watch this really cool video um 
just to shout her out uh, by Kristen Sole at the 2019 Chicago Humanities Festival. She wrote a book called Witches, Sluts, and Feminists, and it was really awesome. So I got, I got, I took the midwife thing from her. So I'm not just going to claim that that was my idea. Um, <laughs> we're talking about other women who were um, targeted during the witch hunts. Yeah. Um, so Marianne Hester, I, I quote her work a lot in my essay. Um, she wrote Patriarchal Reconstruction and Witch Hunting. And that really, she explores whether or not it was gender related or gender specific. And it really, it does come down to being like gender specific um, hmm. on varying levels. Uh, so most often, like the people that were targeted were poor often single or widowed women uh and this is just because i mean this is for like a a large a factor of reasons <laughs> um the world was on fire back then right. but she kind of touches on the idea of like the feminization of poverty um which is her words that i really just absolutely love and it's the idea that like the development of capitalist production benefited from oppressing women mm -hmm. um, and you can see this in like the culture of brewing and brewing was a female dominated trade at the time but not at the time was a female dominated trade and then it slowly morphed into like men taking over it um, because of population growth economic turmoil once again everything was just on fire at the time like the world was really <laughs> changing quickly sure um and men began to rob this profession of brewing. And so this idea of a witch's brew came out of the fact that widowed women didn't have income, didn't have property, can't own anything. And so they would still brew to, to make money. And so it wasn't made by a man. It was made by this single old woman. Like, oh, it's this poor lady making some weird brew. It's a witch's brew. And like kind right. of demonizing um, poverty at that time totally um yeah i find i find that witches brew thing super interesting um taking over industry um yeah i i also wanted to because i i really want to make sure that we don't miss out on the um the quotes the kramer quotes from from the <laughs> malleus i mean because they're just oh, yeah. so delicious um so uh what was the the title of the book because i clearly can't say it <laughs> Malleus Maleficarum, okay. the Hammer of Witches. And, like, it was super-duper prevalent, right? So um, it was the second most popular book in 16-whatever, um, second only to the Bible that year, I guess probably for a number mm -hmm. of years. I don't know. Um, but, uh, like, what was what was its effect before I get into, like, how outlandish these fucking quotes are? Um, so Kramer... Uh I believe he was German and uh, I believe when it was I mean the development of the printing press obviously led to a lot of texts being released to the public um, and this is one thing Catholicism did not have over Protestantism or just like the lay person is that the difference between Latin and English mm. that the Bible if it wasn't translated into English or like these Catholic texts, if they weren't translated into English, were unattainable. Mm -hmm. Like, it was not for the layperson. And Kramer, I think it being translated into English and then released on a printing press, really, it just totally changed the conversation around witches. <laughs> because, at f like, before, it was kind of one of those things where, like, maybe everyone didn't believe in it. Like, uh -huh. it was totally... 
that's totally feasible. Um, that maybe people were just, I don't know. They were like, oh, that's like a funny, weird thing. The Catholic Church just wants to target people. Um, But his very much was like, (laughs) yeah. But his was for sure like targeting women, targeting like why women are like sexual deviants or whatever. And it's just, it's the most pointed attack for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's super interesting. I also wanted to know really quick that that reminded me before I dive into these delicious quotes, um, you know, keep the audience waiting with bated breath. The um, (laughs) it's worth the wait, I promise Um, that uh, how so they were very prevalent texts. Right. But like only men were reading Mm -hmm. them. Right. Like women weren't reading or was it only religious officials too? like who could read? Like, do you know? Yeah. At the time. So, yes, mostly um, men and learned people like it would be bizarre back then for, say, like a Miller to be able to read Mm. like that's, you know, they're a Miller, like they're not reading anything. So it really did. It was mostly like learned people, um, clergymen Mm -hmm. and women. Some women could read, for example, like nuns, but they were a part of the Catholic Church. Um, So they were probably a part of the of the against which is, you know, which will for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's also like whole, I could, I could go on rants about, um, female writing at the time, but I mean, that, that is just, that's a whole other, uh, nut to crack, but yeah, no, it was mostly like the richer classes were able to read and then, uh, the information would get spread through social interactions, uh, rules changing right stuff like that wow yeah that is really interesting okay so (laughs) these quotes so i guess the idea of of why i'm reading them is like just to show how freaking bonkers it was but also it really um like painted women in a light that that they were which we'll connect to when we talk about um like connecting um like witches to slut shaming um really sexual deviance by nature and that was connected to their um supposed being witch you know so um it was kind of like he was building an argument as to why women are more likely to be sorcerers or witches than men are like we said some men were killed for being like witches but it was mostly women um so kramer explains that women were um frail and unstable and inclined to be credulous making them more prone to be attacked by the evil spirit so like women are weak and so if the devil tries to like make a deal with you you're going to because you're weak right okay great um (laughs) this one's my favorite and that uh the way they are made makes them naturally prone to leak (laughs) making it easier for individual spirits to find entrance okay women have more holes and those holes are i guess leakier than men's holes Meaning the devil. I know this is like it. my second time hearing you say this out loud, but it still hits. Oh my it god, still hits hard. You know what that actually makes me think too? That it's like the devil. So when they're talking about you know making them naturally prone to leak, right? That probably mm-hmm. means that it's you know the devil is entering them through like the vaginal cavity. Um, oh yeah, which means like these women are banging the devil, and um, oh for sure. I didn't even I didn't think of that before. Like, <laughs> I'm like, hell yeah. Which is, like, it just shows, like, men's fear of women's sexuality. 
Like, oh yeah. If women are are choosing to have sex with the devil, they have sexuality. That's super interesting. Okay. Um, and that three women have a lewd, slippery tongue, useful when employed as an evil skill. So like, women just are more conniving in general. Um, which he doesn't really explain why, but they are. And um, that women are given to fleshy lusts more than man, and it is clear from her many acts of carnal filthiness. So, like, before a woman's even a witch, she's already hornier than men. Um, so that's why <laughs> she's more likely to be a witch, because if the devil's going to come and be like, have sex with me, she was like, I will. That's, like, my assumption of what the texts mean. Yeah. But this was the second most popular book of the time period only next to the bible like so yeah. these ideas were super duper prevalent and like clearly bleed into how we look at women today for sure it's so interesting because like there was this idea um of like lust magic or like se- sex magic at mm. the time that like a woman could make a man like do anything by like essentially like you know like through sexual stuff you know right and it's so interesting that that is seen as a weakness of the woman and not a weakness of the man because he's the one (laughs) he's giving into temptation oh that's so funny and you we see that today like when people are like well what were you wearing and it's like like how is it my fault in front of a dog it's like oh some men are dogs like yeah oh, so i'm like learn agree. to control yourself <laughs> you know that meme with like regina george so you agree men are dogs <laughs> <laughs> yes yes so you agree that's so it's ridiculous yeah oh wow that's a really good that's a really good um connection there um so then we we talk about as well um that then in the essay which super interesting we can talk all day about how like women are uh targeted by men uh, because of industry mm-hmm. and everything. But what I thought was really cool about your essay is that you talked about how women um, a- attacked other women because of this pressure mm-hmm. around them. Um, so what y- you said, uh, the woman's ability to socially control other women is often the only self-preserving and sustaining tool available in a largely patriarchal society, which I think is a delicious statement because it's not just about this this society we're talking about. It's in general. Mm-hmm. In a patriar- in, uh, great words. In a patriarchal society women putting other women down is often the only way for them to rise in rank at all not above any men yeah there's no way you're gonna get on the same plane as a man <laughs> but you don't want to be the last person on the wrong right um mm-hmm. and that that uh marion hester talks about that that women were at the time playing moral gatekeepers seeing women as use the means available to them to improve their condition like the only means available to them were like the women around them so it's like you're gonna like use their faces as like stairs to like climb <laughs> i guess um do you want to talk for more sure. about that during the time period yeah it's definitely just manipulating whatever social currency you have to mm, prove your worth totally. um and to gain more social currency i mean at the time so what would happen is okay this is not like word for word what would happen but <laughs> for example at the time, you had people really enforcing Catholicism, really enforcing these ideas around religion, which is like give to the poor, give to your neighbors, like be a generous giving person. Right. But 
this is during the plague. This is during economic downturn. This is during tumultuous, like, changes in state. And so people didn't have the means to always give to their neighbor. So, for example, an old widowed woman who can't own land and is poor would ask her female neighbor for for money. She would beg and that neighbor would say no. And then a week later, their goat would die or their kid would get sick or there would be a fire in their barn or something like that. And instead of realizing that this is forces around them or dealing with their own Catholic religious guilt, Mm -hmm. they would be like, oh, my God, she's a witch. This is why this bad thing happened to me. Right. Her, her, it's her, it's her who did it. And it's very, it's kind of like this weird means of like gaining control of your own life, but also like very much placing yourself in a position of advantage, hopefully. Right. Um, I mean, is the idea behind it. Um, Really quick, uh, could you like give a little bit more historical context to the the Catholic guilt that you're talking about? Yeah, totally. Um, So I'm mostly focusing on like the 1500s, late 1400s into the 1600s. So the burning times, which was 1560 to 1630, um, which just so happens to line up with the dates of the Protestant Reformation, which was like early 1500s. (laughs) Yeah, to mid 1600s. So, yeah, so a little, like, boilerplate context. Uh, Martin Luther wrote the 95 Theses and with the printing press was able to distribute this um, critique of the indulgences of the Catholic Church. And this was the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Um, And around 1545, the Counter-Reformation was born when Pope Paul III came up with the Council of Trent. And this council sought to basically correct the critiques that Martin Luther came up with and basically laid out what we know as modern Catholicism today, which is very strict, very rigid. Anything not Orthodox is superstition. Like you must obey these rules. You go to confession once a week. Um, And that's really how Catholic guilt was born was this idea of like confession, like your community holds you accountable. Um, Yeah. So it was, you hold this like weight around and you're like, Oh my God, I feel guilty. I have to tell my priest about this. And it, it became this weird form of monitoring, monitoring of behavior, Mm. um, which was central to the Vatican, to the Catholic church at the time, to the papacy, because they were losing people to Protestantism, paganism, heresy. They were losing everyone left and right. And they had to hold on to them somehow. So they began this form of like social monitoring, Um, whether it be like confession or checking people's name off when they enter church and stuff like that. Yeah. And I guess also that then with with the monitoring comes the self-monitoring. And if if you, if you instill a value of self-monitoring within people, then they're much easier to control if they're feeling guilty all the time for even thinking about something that they Mm -hmm. are thinking about, then they're much easier to, to regulate or control. Um, For sure. Yeah. That is very interesting to me that, that, it seems like a condition of the time that definitely bleeds into today, I think. For sure. And it was all like a response to fear on the papacy's Mm. part at this time, just because, I mean, you also have Henry VIII and his daughter Elizabeth, who were Protestant rulers in England, gaining a lot of power. Um, 
And so you have like France, Spain, Italy, these Catholic entities just like really trying to hold on to their Catholicism and not let England gain more power than it already had at the time, which I mean was a lot. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. And I think the Vatican really played into that. Uh, yeah. I feel like everyone was very scared. And this, I mean, this was the, the result it was a lot of death and bloodshed. Do you think that, okay. So, so when we look at the way that women were um, like accusing other women, like you would think that, that women could or should recognize the, um, the structures at play of like, blaming other women or accusing other women and that they're more they're just as likely to be under the microscope as their name well maybe not just as likely but they are more likely to be put under a microscope for witchcraft than than their husband or than the other man you would think or hope that women would not be accusing each other of this sort of thing but they do and they are Mm -hmm. and um like it could be a condition of of the of the time that everyone was very afraid i think it makes sense that if you're afraid and like like you'd said, um, I, I believe you mentioned it in the last one or maybe this one as well, the the little ice age. Um, so like yeah. crops were shit. And so it's like my crop is shit. This woman must it must be this woman's fault, you know. So like being being that they were in such a tumultuous time, fear definitely plays into pitting people against each other, especially when like you're like it's it's two women you're already at the bottom of society the only way to climb is like i you know illustrated before on each other's faces (laughs) Um, yeah do you think that that plays into the the idea of of women pitting women against each other like today so at the end of your paper right um just, Mm -hmm. just really quick i really love at the end of your paper you wrote if i had more pages i would write about how these demonizing tactics can be seen in the culture of slut shaming in american schools where women of higher class further their social status as seen in Good Girls, Gender, Social Class, and Slut Discourse on Campus by Elizabeth Armstrong. Like, I love that you finished your essay and you still felt passionate about, um, passionate enough about this topic that you were like, I need to put this note here. What made you so passionate about it? Tell me about, like, that feeling of learning about that connection and putting that note into your essay. I think, oh, I love that you say that feeling, um, of learning th- about that connection because it very much was like a feeling mm-hmm. um it's one of those things where two years almost two years have gone by since I've written this paper and really thought about this uh in such depth um thought about the history of it sure. but it was the moment when I realized that people within a system that has that is set up for them to fail um this idea that they as an individual actor can build themselves up within the system and then do good once they've ascended to the highest, like broken the glass ceiling, ascended to the the greatest lengths that they could and then do good for those below them. Oh yeah. Is I feel like that is a bullshit idea. Totally. Yeah. Because what we see is that when you're set up in a system to fail, the easiest way to succeed and the way that's encouraged to succeed is to tear down the people next to you. And that's not a fault of the person tearing down the others. That's a fault of the system. That's the system being rigged. Um, the patriarchal society that I'm analyzing in this, in this instance. Um, but you for sure see it in the way, I mean, 
we talked in our last recording. We talked a <laughs> lot about Check high school. Are you recording? I am recording. Okay, We're great. at 38 minutes. <laughs> okay, what were you saying? I've school? been checking so crazy. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, just like in high school with the with slut shaming um and just how often we have to prove our our value to our male friends or our male counterparts yeah. by pitting ourselves against other girls. Like this idea of like, oh, well, she's not marriage material. Like if you want to be a wifey oh. material. Oh, yeah, wife material, sure. Yeah, if you want to be that bitch that like cleans up after the party. And it's like <laughs> that, like those little things where you're like, this isn't it. Like this isn't it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I thought, I thought about... Um, like I, I i've definitely experienced slut shaming before um one for like things i have done but also like just like things i haven't done like rumors about me and like um even just like owning my own sexuality and and still being put down for that um so and, and i've also slut shamed people as well um I, I i would like to say at a younger age definitely um but like it's we're in a system that that rewards us for doing so um but, you know, it's funny that I, I that made me think about, like, like the trope of, like, you're a little girl and you and your mom are watching something and she's like, don't dress like that. Don't act like that about a girl on TV. Like, and that's, like, mm. good parenting, but it's also, like, it's othering, you know. And, and, and um, in the paper that you referenced, the, the Armstrong paper, she talks a lot about how um, there's power in the othering of, of someone else, especially women, um, especially when we're talking about slut shaming. So by saying, well, I'm not that thing and talking about another woman's sexual exploits, you're othering her actions and then elevating yourself. Um, I guess to other women, to other men. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? <laughs> For sure. I mean, like, I feel like I saw this with Phoebe, my sister, a lot in high school who like everything that was ever said about her was like pure fiction truly but she just like developed earlier like right. anyone with like bigger boobs is called a slut like right. any woman with bigger boobs if she's not wearing like a cardigan that covers her neck like she is a slut and it was like really hard to see that because it was like wow this is very much others insecurities about not having value in a male-driven society, being projected onto my sister. Totally. Um, and for sure, I would do it, too, like, when I I would really try to, like, hang out with, like, my guy friends and be one of them, mm -hmm. and I would just objectify or shit on other girls. Um, and I could feel, like, my social status rise as I did it, too. Yeah. Like, I could feel that they were like, oh, she's cool, she can hang. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, she's cool. She can hang. I, I definitely I'm definitely like a guy's girl type of person where I've, mm -hmm. I've been like sur I've surrounded myself with dudes and I still struggle with like my relationship to women um, and uh, my relationship to my own gender. My my brother said very poignantly, um, I was living with my brother, my ex-boyfriend and my best friend, John, in New York before I moved to Arizona. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. I know. <laughs> That was my. That's so bad. That was my quarantine bubble. No joke. It was John, my ex, and my brother. Um, hilarious. So, um, my my brother said very poignantly. He said, um, "I grew up with only brothers, right? So, which mm -hmm. makes sense to why I may, might feel more comfortable around guys." 
but um, that means that I'm always trying to seek male approval. I was always trying to be as cool as my brothers. I was always trying to play with my brothers and hang with them, you know. Um, and my brother said, I wish that you grew up with a sister so you didn't have to try so hard or it didn't have to keep trying um, to fit in with the boys that you could just feel comfortable with being a girl. And I was like, wow, that's, oh. yeah. <laughs> Ouch, Kevin. Um, Ouch, but also like, so like kind of sweet like very bittersweet sweet and sad oh yeah no it was it was definitely like a a wishing that I didn't because it was him recognizing that I try to blend in with the guys I try yeah shit talk with the dudes um and like yes it could be that I'm more comfortable but it is probably part of it is finding my own worth if I'm valued by the men around me which often comes from you know, slut shaming and talking about women in a derogatory way, you know, mm-hmm. putting down our sisters. For sure. Um, my mom said when she, like, when I was growing up, she said, like, you're a very headstrong person. You know, we think about the word bossy. She, um, mm. she warned me that when I enter the workplace, um, the women are going to be more difficult to work with than men. And I was like, that's really sexist to say, you know, but um, she explained that when you're one of only two women in the room, like imagine a boardroom and it's all men and it's just you and one other woman, you are the two lowest status people there. So neither of you wants to be the absolute lowest status. So both of you will try to put each other down inherently. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think that's the case as well when, when we're looking at like school settings, um, just groups of only women as well. You would think that in groups of only women, we could kind of equalize but I, I think it's just as bad. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, that definitely, as you were saying that, I like kind of zoned out a bit because I realized I think I am putting down a, a fellow uh, woman at my job right now. Oh, really? I literally oh, like, no. you were yeah. saying this and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I might be doing this right now a little bit. It's so ingrained, dude. It's so ingrained. Like you don't. It's so ingrained. You don't know that you're doing it and it like feels good to do it because it it yeah it makes you feel like I don't know sometimes sometimes I feel like when when I um act more manly in the workplace I feel like I'm more valued and then I look down upon Mm -hmm. women who act girly I guess Um, yeah yeah it's sneaky because it doesn't feel gender specific Mm. it feels like you are simply embodying the characteristics that you think your boss desires to see in you it doesn't feel gender specific yeah yes but it's so it so is yeah and then specifically in schools i mean um that made me think about like dress codes so i mean okay we can talk about um comparing the witch trial to like a sexual assault trial which um, mm. I know that in a lot of political cartoons we look at when women have been on trial, it's they have been portrayed as witches. And I mean, any sort of woman in a political position has been portrayed as a witch in some sort of political cartoon. But yeah, you think about um, sexual assault trials and in, in those types of trials, they often ask you about sexual history and promiscuity and things like that. And when witches were on trial, it was the same questions. And it's crazy that that setting and that tone and those questions like just are pervasive, completely pervasive um, of time um, throughout time. You know, that that for sure questioning your worth based on um, and like your ability to be in the society, because like with witch trials, it was, you know, you were 
being put to death um is ba- like often based on your promiscuity and your sexuality yeah and this is like 600 700 years ago which is just insane how little progress has been made oh absolutely oh god um and i did want to i don't believe i shouted it out in the beginning i did want to um quickly say that um we're we're talking about witch hunting as a past because we are talking about specifically in the context of that specific time period you mentioned in italy but witch hunting is still going on um like women are still being killed for supposed witchcraft in Ghana, Northeast India, Tanzania, Papua New Guinea. Um, it's still, it's still freaking happening. And it's, what's interesting too, is like, we're, we're talking about, you know, Europe and, and America and like largely Western ideas. Um, but like the, the type of woman that is like persecuted against or targeted for these sorts of things are the same type of women globally. It is, it is the older woman. It is the woman in these t- sorts of op- occupations. It is the um, single woman, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's, we, we can laugh about leaky holes, but it, it's like, it, there really is a tragedy to be said about here. And there really is like, although we can, uh, like, it, it, it was very much in the past. It was still such a violence against women's bodies. For sure. And it also, like, it, Today, I'm I'm not sure. I don't know very much about those um, examples, but how much like class and uh, race and oh, totally. just how all that like slowly envelops into it. I mean, like, obviously, like everything is intersectional. Like there is no issue that is just like, this is the issue. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> but really, yeah, it's it's crazy how much poor women were targeted at at this time. And I'm I'm sure that that carries through today. Totally, yeah. Um, is there is there anything else that you want to shout out? Because I think we covered a lot of the good stuff Ooh. that we meant to. Yeah, I feel like we the second time around. Second time's a charm, man. I, know. <laughs> I, I actually really think that we did a good job of like. Ooh, I think down. we did a great job. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if anyone's like ever interested, like if you you don't want to if you're like into reading books, um. Carlo Ginsberg's The Cheese and the Worms uh, gives a really good insight into, like, popular culture in uh, Renaissance Italy at the time um, and beliefs about heresy, if you're into heresy. Um, if you're into heresy. Or if, yeah, if you're into being a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then The Little Hours, which I think is on Netflix yes. right now. It has Alison Brie and Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, that is, like, it's based off of Boccaccio's Decameron, um, and that is just like it does a really it's like a comedy and like it's like silly but it does really demonstrate uh the concept of a sabbath and like witchcraft at the time it's totally um, it is fantastic yeah yeah it's just like yeah we're in quarantine like you have time to watch things and that one it's just fun uh you don't have to read the decameron to get it <laughs> I mean, the Cameron's a hefty book. <laughs> while watching that movie, though, I just kept saying over and over again, I was like, I cannot believe this is based on, like, a text. I can't believe that, like, <laughs> this was a time period back then. Oh, for it just sure. It so outlandish. It's, yeah, that movie is so good. I love it. So good. Um, yeah, so those are two things. If people are, like, interested in the topic, um... And just, like, want to know more. I mean, I'm super passionate about the Italian Renaissance um, and especially the papacy during the Italian Renaissance <laughs> yeah. and its relation to witches. So uh, 
if you want to dive in, those are good places to start. That's great. I love I love that those other resources as well. And I do believe that I mentioned that that talk with the Chicago Humanities Festival, which was I think it was like forty five minutes, and it was super um, concise and awesome. And then also talked about like the commodification of witchiness of today, and and talking about how like modern witches are hexing politicians and things like that. Uh, it's it's a really good talk, and I think it's. Um, really uh, prevalent. So I, you know what, really quick before, before we close out, like the time that we're in is kind of on fire too. And, and there is kind of a prevalence of witches. Do you think that um, there is a, like you could compare this period of time that we're living in now to the period of time that um, people were witch hunting because of how like on fire the world is, or, or do you think there's not really a place for that comparison? I think for sure there's a place for that comparison. Um, when I studied this, I I might have said otherwise um, mm. because there wasn't a pandemic, <laughs> but a really defining characteristic of like the 15 to 1600s um, was the plague. Um, and then you also have okay. the Protestant Reformation and the Counter-Reformation. Um, you have... Uh, we briefly mentioned the Little Ice Age, which was just like a period of climatic change. And we've definitely got a lot of climate change. Um, so, yeah, you just have these things, these tiny, tiny little like pebbles. I Like the idea of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Right. In this case, there really there is no straw. You just have a bunch of different factors that are making people's lives significantly harder that are instilling fear and like panic and the top is panicking like the people in charge are panicking and so like the they don't church. know what to do yeah very much like the catholic church and the bottom is also panicking and when you have that it's it's just chaos um so wow that left this on a dark <laughs> note <laughs> It's just <laughs> chaos. Chaos. I can't imagine what the equivalent today would be for um, the Inquisition, for, you know, yeah, burning witches and heretics. I don't know what that would look like. Um, but I do think it's very similar that when you when you have desperate people, desperate things happen. Yeah, I think. Kind of idea. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way of saying that. Yeah. Well, I think that we covered what we wanted to cover. <laughs> Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on twice. <laughs> thank you so much for recording twice. I'm so sorry. No, please don't be sorry. That's totally fine. Um, great. So uh, enjoy the rest of your Monday. I'm going to go ahead and stop recording. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Hickory Playground, founded by Dylan Tashjian, Robert Fuller, and Jordan Maycant. Jordan is also our audio editor. Compositions are by Lucky Sarudi. Logos designed by Morgan Honeycutt. My assistant in research is John Morgan Stern, and our digital marketing specialist is Simone Elhart. Thank you so much for listening.